Hello there, it's me, Technical Difficulties James. Just stopping by to throw some technical difficulties into the mix of this episode. What kind of technical difficulties, you ask? Oh, I don't know, maybe deleting Jane's side of the conversation so James and Jane have to record the whole conversation again on a different day. That'll be fun, won't it? Oh, and sure, James managed to record the Zoom call, but I jumped in there as well and stopped the internet from working. And of course, when the internet came back online, James forgot to press the record button. Oh, the technical difficulties in one episode. Aren't I clever? (laughs) What are you doing at the microphone? Oh, nothing. I was just, uh... Whatever. I I don't really care. Back in your cage. Come on. No. Stop. Ah. Ah. Oh, fine. Until next time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Until next time. Whatever. Oh, wow. Okay. So, looking at this episode, uh, it's a bit of a mess. So, I'm probably going to have to jump in every now and then to kind of explain what's going on. So, look forward to that. So, why don't we roll the intro and then I'll be right back. Here we go. Hello. Welcome to Broadway and Other Kiwi Dreams, a weekly podcast exploring the lives and minds of theatre practitioners in and around the New Zealand performing arts industry. I'm your host, James Shearer. Today, I am joined by a creative, a storyteller, and a songstress, Jane Leonard. Jane has been performing from a very young age, even attending a performing arts preschool, which I did not even know existed. Since then, she has gone on to pursue a fruitful performing career, including starring as one of the most iconic roles in music theatre history, Alphaba. Jane joins the podcast to talk about her experience with Wicked. She details the events and shows of her NASDA years, and we also dive into the deep end to talk about mental health and Black Lives Matter. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, enjoy a conversation with Jane on Broadway and other Kiwi dreams. So were you into theatre as a kid? Yes. I started ballet when I was three. Right. I started singing lessons when I was seven. Mm-hmm. I was in my first, um, it was Mid-Canterbury Children's Theatre in Ashburton. But my first show was when I was six. It was called What Are Fairy Tales For? And I played A Little Snow White. What a question. Um, I know. What are, what are fairy tales for? And then, yeah, I started like speech and drama and piano when I was eight years old. So I was very much thrust into performing arts. Oh, and I went to a performing arts preschool as well. Wow. So I did half the week in Ashburton at a Montessori and then mm. half the week at Mozart's, which is a performing arts preschool in Christchurch. So from day dot, my mother took me up to Christchurch for half the week to go to this performing arts preschool, which is amazing. Yeah, what was that preschool? Do you, do you remember much of going to that preschool? Yep. 
I remember the first day I went within the first 10 minutes, they got me to, you know, because not only are they performing arts, but they're also, you know, preschool. Yeah. So, you know, the bubble thing, how you used to do the bubble thing with the paint. So you use bubble detergent with paint to like create bubbly art. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. However, I knew that you had to blow into it, but I, I was, you know, three at the time and I, I remember it. So it's ingrained <laughs> in there. Yeah. And I, I sucked it up. I, so I drank the detergent and I cried my little eyes out. So that was my first, my first memory of that place. But other than that, singing, dancing, wearing costumes, there was this giant pirate ship, which when I look at photos of it now, it wasn't actually giant, but at the time it was huge. Yeah, that's always the case when you're a kid. And there was a, a donkey that came because we did a nativity play and I played Mary and there was a donkey and the donkey came inside and pooped. I remember that. A real donkey. Um, I, yeah, and I also remember getting pushed off the donkey by the kid who was playing Joseph. Um, he'd, always, <laughs> he'd always pick on me and he literally pushed me off the donkey. He's like, Mary, see you later. Like, fuck off. Trouble in paradise for that couple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of, uh, I guess, rooted this thought of, of storytelling and what you can do with storytelling. So, yeah, that was Mozart's. Shout out. Shout out to Mozart. Shout out to Felicity, who was, my, who was the head of Mozart's. She's cool. <laughs> Did you perform all through childhood and like teenage years as well? Yeah, so Mid Canterbury Children's Theatre. I did that from when I was six till 18, 17. I think there was only maybe one year where I didn't do a musical, but I did that. I did um, Mid Canterbury Summer Singing School, basically that whole time as well. I never got to do a musical at school, however, at high school, because I went to Burnside. And if you were in the specialist music program or in the choirs, because of um, your commitment to the choirs and everything, you weren't allowed to do the musical when I, when I was there. Interesting. So that kind of, that kind of sucked a bit, but <laughs> I did, but I did musicals outside of that. Right. Um, so yeah, with, with the children's theater. And then when I was 16, I did Les Mis in Ashburton. And that was with Variety Theatre in Ashburton, which used to be Ashburton Operatic. And I played Cosette and that kind of cool. was like my first big musical. Yeah, sure. And then it just began. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it hasn't stopped. growing and, and it hasn't stopped. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, it hasn't. And, you know, I'm very, I'm very privileged to say that, actually, when I think about it. Yeah. I'm very lucky. Blessed. Hashtag blessed. Ooh, gross. Can't believe I just said that. Cut that out. Oh. Absolutely not. <laughs> Another question is, mm-hmm. what is your dream role to play that you haven't played already? Yeah, see, um, this is a really hard one. That's why I sent it to you. I know. But you, like, <laughs> seriously, I've been thinking about this like for a whole week. <laughs> one of my top roles is that I really want to play is Carol King and Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, because I play piano and I love Carol King and I love her style of singing. I love her folky rawness and I love her story, which will probably bring, bring us to another question, but like Alphaba, mm-hmm. she didn't, she wasn't ever a dream role for me right? until I played her. Mm. 
I didn't understand her and I don't think I even understood the musical properly because it was such like this commercial musical, this blockbuster of a musical that it really, that really overshadows actually the purpose and the story and what's such a beautiful character that is Alphaba and how much I relate to her. And I learned that through playing it. I mean, obviously I wanted to audition because it was Wicked and Alphabet, what a fantastic role, but it was never a, a role that I really, really, really wanted to play until I played it, mm. which is buzzy. And I guess like that probably wouldn't have been on many people's radar of what would be possible to do in New Zealand until the premiere of Wicked happened in Christchurch, which we were a part of. <laughs> that too. I think when I was younger, obviously the roles of like Christine Dyer and Mary Poppins and because growing up I trained classically yeah did musical theater as well but that was my main thing and mum always pushed for me to be an opera singer mm-hmm. um <laughs> and she still always asks like oh why don't you use your real voice and I'm like what is my real voice <laughs> like I don't really think that um my soprano classical sound is my real voice but um she always loves to hear me sing that way. Fair enough. Yeah, each to their own, eh? But yeah. uh, they, they were my dream roles when I was younger. But now I, God damn your questions. They're not questions that surprise you either, but they're the questions that you avoid yourself because they're just too hard. Yeah, they're too, you know? too introspective and yeah. deep. But the, <laughs> the characters that I want to play that I haven't played are those characters that are edgy, and gritty and have something to say a really strong female roles sure you know what i'm gonna put it out there maureen um i was really my Mm. heart broke when our season was cancelled because i was i was so pumped that's the season of rent for those who don't know yes it's a court theater yeah that was a role that really i was really really wanting to get into and and get on the floor with that and play with it like, because when I was younger, even throughout my first initial years at NASDA and throughout the first initial years of my career, I honestly didn't believe in myself. Mm-hmm. I judged everything that I did. It was a self-saboteur inside my head, constantly judging me. And it didn't give me the ability to play and to explore and to just have fun. I was always so in my head about the technique. Where do you think that came from? Honestly, just an issue with self-belief, mm-hmm. an issue with self-confidence. I've done so many awesome things in my life. And when I think about those things, I'm like, why, why for so long did you hold yourself back? It honestly is just a question of just self-worth and self-confidence. I just, I just didn't have it. It didn't yeah. exist to me. That has a lot to do with my own mental health journey, having depression and anxiety and growing and becoming older and learning. I'm really grateful now where I am with my, with my mental health because it's enabled my creativity to go beyond what I ever had before. Mm. Being able to play with a role is so much fun. That's the gift to be able to play with it and to be able to share that in the rehearsal room, in the space, create, and then share that with an audience and that relationship that's the magic and i'm really sad that i let that self-saboteur get in the way of that process for so long sure i think it's really inspiring for young girls especially 
your story of overcoming that mental health and overcoming all those challenges and still getting to where you are today. I think it's really inspiring. Thank you for saying that. You're welcome. And in saying that all the, you know, trauma and mental health and all that stuff that I've been through, it, it fuels and it fills this like pool of knowledge that I can grab out of as an actor, you know, mm, yeah. and it makes me a better actor and it, and it makes me continue to work hard. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Love you. Love you too. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of something that we love, uh, <laughs> segue, <laughs> just trying to segue into the next thing. Um, NASDA. Oh, NASDA. Yes, NASDA. <laughs> Let's talk about NASDA. Let's talk about NASDA. Um, National Academy of Singing and Dramatic God. Yes, of course. In doing this podcast for, a, this is the 11th or 12th episode, I found it really interesting to talk to people that have also gone to NASDA and to find mm. out their experiences as they compared to others. So how was your experience with NASDA? Okay, here we go. Here we go. My experience at NASDA was transformative in many ways. Sure. Firstly, the whānau that I have Definitely. from NASDA, not only within a tutor base, but within the people in my year group and around my year group and you and the years below and this kind of alumni that we create. Yeah. That's amazing. That collective within NASDA is really awesome because we have a very small musical theatre industry in New Zealand. So it's amazing that we have that community. Yeah. So that in itself, I mean, my year group, as you know, we are so close and we are all best friends and we will be best friends till the end. That in itself, oh, fills my heart with joy. Secondly, I was lucky enough to be in a time at NASDA when there wasn't um, a lot of movement between tutors. We had the same tutors for three years. We had Stephen Ross, who really gave me the, the tools that I use in everything that I do. Yeah. Steph Ross and Richard, Juliet, in the nicest way possible, trying to articulate this, it wasn't as disruptive as maybe some other years would have been. And not yep. disruptive in a negative way, it just happened. You know, it happens in every institution. That you, that you have teachers leaving and, and coming and going and doing their own mahi, and that's cool. Yep. I'm very lucky in the three years that I had. Yeah. Because I, I know with some other students' experience, it hasn't been the same. And sure. within the three years of being there, the year above and the year below and so on and so forth, were so accommodating and they were so kind and nurturing. And my year was also the year of, of the earthquake, the 2011 earthquake. Yeah, it was that first year. Yep. So it was our second week. Wow. And on that Tuesday, was it, was it Tuesday? Yep. I think so, yeah. There's a group of us that were going to go to Cashel Mall to get $2 rice from the arcade, which is mm -hmm. now... Now gone. Well, maybe it was Sivalaki, I can't remember, but we're going to Casual Street. And then we decided, oh, no, 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 we'll just go home and make megaring. We'll make two-minute noodles, be cheaper, you know. Got to oh. look after that bank account when you're a student. Yeah. And so we went back and we started watching Brokeback Mountain. It's a big group of us in Otatahi House, in mm -hmm. our house. Mm -hmm. Then it happened. And I just remember seeing Brokeback Mountain TV fall on the ground and everybody scrambling underneath the 
doorways and I remember my friend Whitney who was over in the flat across run out because she'd been practicing her tap in her tap <laughs> shoes ran down the stairs outside of our house in her tap shoes there were boys that had done ballet in the morning and they hadn't taken off their dance belts we couldn't go back into our house so they were literally wearing their dance belts they didn't have yeah. proper underwear on yeah. which I thought just was just like kind of funny <laughs> But then we had a month or so off, of course, before we got to come back together. And we did that out of Impact, Mm -hmm. Impact Studios, for a month or so. And that really solidified our year, but also the whole, across the whole three years. And our relationship with our teachers, our tutors were so strong because of that as well. Because you had to go through that experience together. Yeah. It was rough. I feel like the first year was a lot of dealing with mental health and anxiety and general struggles of of living in that environment whilst also figuring out who we are as performers and learning new things. But honestly, like within my first year, because that year was a bit rough Mm. for a lot of people. And I think it also comes down to me believing in myself. I didn't want to carry on. Right. Yeah. Cause I was so fueled with depression and anxiety. I remember doing like voice, you know, doing just doing voice yeah, yeah. and learning that I, I'd, I'd never been, I hadn't been breathing properly, all these basic things. And I was just like, Oh, I'll never be an actor. I can't do it. I just can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just letting that, that little voice in my head just get too loud, but um, I'm also very stubborn, so I I didn't give up. Sure, I was I was going to ask, what is there something that got you through that, or is it just the fact that you're stubborn? I think the love for performing in theatre and art, and the love for the fano that I had been a part of was too strong hmm. to let go. But also, I remember on the first day of NASDA, we all sat in a big group and Steph asked us what we wanted to do after NASDA and I was like I just I want to be a high school teacher and teach trauma that was what I wanted to do yeah and I had that in my head and because because I'd been teaching for a long time prior to NASDA and I still teach I've just been teaching for a whole year I love teaching but it wasn't until I did my internship through the court theater and did Amadeus which was halfway through my third year yeah And I was in this professional environment and with professional actors and seeing what they were doing and being a part of it. And I was like, I want to be doing this. This Mm. is what I want to be doing. I want to be teaching for sure. I still want to teach. I think teaching is a wonderful thing, but to be a good teacher, I need to do this. I need to learn on the floor. I need to grow my toolbox and be able to, to share that with students. I want to be here. And so it wasn't actually till then, which was April, April of 2013 yeah. that I was like, oh, no, don't you eat, don't eat, don't eat that, don't, no, Max, Max, <laughs> Max is eating the headphone wire. Max, oh, sorry. <laughs> Max, if you do that, you know you're going to, don't you scratch, don't you bite me, don't you bite me. Hey guys, Future James here. I'm sure it's pretty obvious, but if you couldn't tell, Max is a cat and was chewing on Jane's headphone wire. All right, back to the podcast. Simon? (laughs) Simon? 
just not good. Not going well. Okay, here we go. Yep, see you, Max. Bye. <laughs> what was I saying? You were saying about um, Amadeus and that's when you... Yeah, that was when, that was when I first, I was just like, wow, this is cool. This is so cool. You get to come every day to a theatre or whatever rehearsal space and be with a group of like-minded individuals who love this art form and you get to see it all play out and you get to be a part of that conversation. And I was just like, oh, I like this. I want to do this professionally and I want to be an actor and I don't care if it doesn't pay well and I don't care if my work is very dependent on like circumstances I don't care if I don't if I'm like jobless for ages I just want to freaking do it like yeah Yeah. and that was there was a massive change for me massive change yeah I had the exact same experience with Jesus Christ Superstar which we were both (gasps) in as well that like I did I did because that was the first time outside of the NASDA thing where it's what you Mm. were saying being with a group of like-minded people every single day and then you know working towards that uh, creating that end product such mm-hmm. a cool experience yeah and i think because we're so often told that you know if you're in theater well good luck to you or any kind of arts you know it's going to be hard i think it's good to say that you know a lot of kids younger kids ask me you know what is it actually like being an actor and and I, i'm not going to sugarcoat it yeah you know it's not easy being a freelance artist Mm-hmm. it's not but it's worth it if this is what you want to do and if this is how you want to contribute to the world through storytelling through art through creative work yeah and and sure it's difficult but it's also so rewarding and we're frozen boop doop doop frozen frozen indeed past james okay so This is where it gets interesting. So just to give you guys some context, this next part of the conversation is four days later. Jane had traveled from Auckland to Wellington and we basically pick up where we left off. On the bright side, this half of the interview has much better audio because it wasn't being recorded on a Zoom call. So that's a plus. All right, here we go. Take it away, past James. Thanks, future James. (laughs) 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 right in my findings of where we got up to um we basically did all of nasta except we did talk about here which didn't record um Mm -hmm. which i thought was really interesting talking about um that production so you you did here in your third year yeah in my third year yeah we kind of talked about the um nudity side of things and Mm -hmm. how that kind of broke a lot of barriers for you. I think it broke a lot of barriers for everybody. It was really well treated from the beginning, right from the rehearsal period. So we had one rehearsal where we locked all the doors. It was Richard, Stephen and Lee in the room and just the cast, which was year threes and second years. Hmm. We had the option if we wanted to display nudity or not. Like you could do it in your own pace. You didn't have to do it all at once. You could, you know... Just do it whatever you're comfortable with. And so we're singing and then we're taking off the clothes and disrobing. And it was so beautiful. And when we'd come to the end of the song, we just all cried because it was, it's very vulnerable to be 
nude in any situation, but also um, being nude with your classmates, with your friends, with your pals is quite something to experience together. So that was really special. Also, just like looking at bodies and seeing them just as bodies, Mm. I think, because we so often especially nude bodies, sexualize them. So just to see them for what they are and all their glory and their function was so wonderful and very empowering for me to have gone through some um, eating disorders in the past and then to just kind of accept my body in that space um, and accept other people looking at it. Mm. Yeah, when it came to staging it, Stephen did it so tastefully with the lighting it, it was just beautiful and really um, took away any any need for the audience to sexualize the actors and al- allow the audience to really sink into what that moment is about, which was protest. Mm. So, um, yeah, that was really cool. Mm. Great thing to be a part of and really allowed me to be more open and for that to be in my last year of, of uh, drama school. Totally. It's a pretty cool opportunity. Yeah, definitely. And then... I did a great segue, and here's that segue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try another segue here. You said there's a penis. What is your dream miscast role? <laughs> These questions, as we've already discovered, are um, difficult ones. For male characters, I actually had a further think about this and like, how cool would it be to be a female Judas? Yes. We did JC together. Yeah. That would be awesome. Actually, Shoshana Bean, they did an all-female cast in New York. Of the whole show. Of the whole show. And um, Shoshana Bean played Judas, and she was epic and rocked it out. I would love to do that. Like, Jean Valjean Mm -hmm. is a female. Amazing. Any character from Dear Evan Hansen, Hamilton. They're kind of the ones I can think of right now that are male-dominated. Yeah. Like Hamilton, Lynn Manuel has said that it's not off the cards to do a gender swap of that, which I think would be so cool. Yeah, I mean, and in that in that production itself, like there are very strong female leads, mm. but it would be so cool to see the interpretation of those characters that have quite strong male. What's the word? Testosterone. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, they've just got a lot of that. Yeah. I can't think. It's too. It's too early in the morning, <laughs> a- and see what a female can can do with that. Um, but other than that, it would be a POC characters, so people of color mm. that I obviously will never play because I'm white. Yeah. But it's a really weird thing when you're biracial. It's just like you think Maori, but you don't appear Maori. Yeah. So that would be that would be cool, but I would never do that because it's just not it's not my place to tell those stories, but. I always dreamed of being in Dream Girls mm-hmm. or Nala and The Lion King. Yeah. yeah, maybe I can write a solo show about that. <laughs> I'm sure you will. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> yeah. Then we got into Post NASDA, mm-hmm. which involved you doing Playhouse with two of your best friends, Jack Marshall and yeah. Ben Freeth. My boys. My boys. <laughs> Yeah, how how was that experience? It was glorious. Mm-hmm. It was honestly glorious. And, like, we were very, very lucky to be such close friends and had done three years of drama school together and then popped into a contract. Yeah. We knew each other inside and out, and we 
just just went into it. We had no problems. It was fantastic. It was a great time. And I think Playhouse itself as a job for somebody coming out of drama school is I'm not gonna say vital because you don't have that doesn't have to be a part of your path as a performer. Yeah, but I do think everyone who has done Playhouse would say that it has been vital to their success. Yes. It allowed me, and I'm sure that you can agree with this, allowed me to really play mm. because you had so much time. You had eight months in the same shows yeah. every single day. Yeah, three times a day. Yeah. To really play with the role, to play with other actors and in the moment work on improv and just the freedom that you can find within theatre and just really like relish in that. So that was really cool because it was something that I hadn't really had the opportunity to do yet. And also just working with different audiences and how you respond to them and how you adapt in those situations was really great. And then just learning how a small company and a touring company and everything functions when you're on the road, how all the technicalities work, I think was really great to learn because, you know, in New Zealand we have to make our own work to survive. To learn all those nooks and crannies at such um, a young age, because I was only 21 at that point. I was a little Mm. baby. Oh, God, that's such a long time ago now. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) That's six years. Oh. Mine was only last year and it feels like ages ago. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, and even though it is the same show 15 times a week, like it's cliche to say, but it is different every single time because every single audience is a different set of children. And child- like mm-hmm. you-, you just don't know what the children are going to do. Oh, there was this one school less the little tot who was in the front row no she was in the second row because that's what makes the story funny <laughs> so ben comes out as pinocchio and it, and you know pinocchio's got that big nose that comes out yeah out he comes the nose does the thing and she just vomits like projectile <gasps> vomits onto the child in front of her and is just crying her eyes out Oh, my God. And just, like, Ben's just like, oh! And, like, you know, kids who had to pee and Mm -hmm. kids who want to pull at your dress when you're in the front because they don't don't know. And, oh, and then just kind of disruptive older kids who think it's cool to, like, say stuff during the show and ruin it for everybody else. And then you kind of just, like, slightly put them in their place yeah which yeah I, I kind of enjoyed those kids because you it gives you a chance to do some do some improv and like work whatever they say into the show yeah yeah that's true and that's that that's the thing in those shows you just seriously have to adapt mm-hmm. so we did rapunzel and mm-hmm. i was a rapper i was real cool <laughs> um <laughs> and then we did bot farm which was like based kind of loosely on Animal Farm, but with technology instead. So a Big Brother esque, very Orwellian. A lot of the kids didn't know George Orwell. They didn't know who Stalin was. They didn't understand dystopian. Oh, unless you explained it to them, like oh, like Hunger Games right. or like yeah. Divergent. Yeah. Then they were like, oh, so that's what that is. Yeah, that's where that comes from. Yeah. Because the because the high school show was always meant to be a little bit more in depth educational as well. Yeah. So we had to really adapt that and how the the kids who don't 
and kind of really understand that how do we translate the majority of the text in a way that is entertaining without being boring yeah because no to be fair the text was not boring at all but for for kids who just have no idea what the subjects are it can get a little bit like huh what's Mm -hmm. going on so that was interesting in itself yeah Mm. what a great time honestly and michael shout out to michael bell michael bell who's just starting you know getting prepared to get on the road again for this year which is dope since we last talked which was four days ago he's posted about going on tour again it's just just great 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 new zealand in every way we have just really been in the forefront of this pandemic we're potentially going to be the first country that is going to put up theater again yeah i mean it's already happening i know i do know though in south korea in seoul they have been continuing with phantom of the opera Mm. which is buzzy Mm. that there's performers in the world who are still performing (laughs) yeah (laughs) especially in musical theater that's crazy to me but um yeah, we're going to be the leaders in that and we'll discover all the technicalities with still dealing with guidelines and how we safely house audience. I know that we're in level one, but I still think obviously there will be precautions that theatres will take. Yeah. So it'll be cool to, you know, be able to be in the forefront of that. Definitely. Yeah. Hurrah. I did another segue and I can't remember what it was, but here it is. <laughs> Hey guys, so in looking for the aforementioned segue, I found out that it was not in fact a segue, it was just asking the question. So I'm going to make one up right now and it's going to go something like, speaking of being green with sickness from a pandemic, uh, what is your favourite role that you've played? Yep, that's the one. And I, I think I said um, third tree on the left. Yes. But my also my other favourite character was also green, and it was Alfie. 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 Oh, so misunderstood. So misunderstood. I think you talked about it not actually being a dream role before you got it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so like, obviously it's a musical that I have always loved, but I think because it was such, you know, going to drama school and learning about all the niche musicals rather than, you know, big commercial musicals and like getting a really broad spectrum on musical theatre, I kind of fell in love with a lot of other musicals and other characters. Because of its commercial founding, I didn't really allow myself to properly listen to what Wicked was about. Mm. And I'd read the book in high school as well, and still I didn't really allow myself to sit with it and be like, oh, wait, okay, so this is a big story about equality, Mm. about race as well. Totally. About bullying, about a girl basically becoming a woman within two acts. Mm. That's how I always looked at the character's arc, a young woman finding herself, finding her voice, and when she flies up into the sky and defying gravity, she's found her power, and that's her step into womanhood. Yeah, what a great character. I had such a journey in discovering who she was, and I was like, wow, I love this character, and actually, we're very similar in nature, 
in the showbiz handbook that we were given mm-hmm. at the start of the show it was like things to tick off like if you're a witch that's how you know that you're a witch and i was like every single thing was like great <laughs> <laughs> i'm a witch yeah I, it was a just a really amazing experience it honestly did change it no it did change my life mm-hmm. in many ways yeah and then when you did get the role he talked about there was a moment in rehearsal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we're doing our first run-through of Act 1. Gone through it, and it was great. Didn't have any hiccups. Did Defying Gravity, and and I was just, like, on a box as well, eh? Like, yeah. I was just standing on a box with a with a broom. Yeah, I think you, like, stepped up onto the box <laughs> for the... Yeah, yeah, stepped up, on, stepped up onto the box and did the thing and then <laughs> came down. And you said that everybody was clapping... I've blocked that out because I don't remember that. Um, yeah. I just walked over and I've kind of, it was like zombie brain. I walked over to the side of the rehearsal room. I crouched down and I just cried. Mm. I cried and I cried. And I remember, I think Greta came over and she was hugging me. And and I remember Stephen being like, are you okay? Like, what's wrong <laughs> with you? It was just a release of emotion because of the character. It was the first time I'd ever gone through that full character's arc within Act 1, and it's a roller coaster of a time, emotionally. Mm-hmm. So it was just, it was a cathartic release, and then also just to have done that, I, I clicked in my mind and was like, I sang Wicked songs when I was in, like, in my early years of high school, you know? Yeah. And did them for Trinity exams, you know, did Defying Gravity, and, and I couldn't really belt at that point. I was, like, opera trained as well. Yeah. So to know how far I've come in my life, in my voice, and everything, and, I, and it just kind of all came to me in that moment, and it was very emotional and awesome. What a show. And that's where we met as well. It is. You were my little wardrobe tin man. <laughs> We had some great combos. Yeah. <laughs> I guess if you don't want to know the inner workings of theatre, skip like 30 seconds. Well, like, should you even, should you even be listening? <laughs> Burn. <laughs> Shade. Shade. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a moment in the show that the character of Bok turns into the Tin Man because of something that happens. I'll, I'll let you figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> but the way that they do that is they have a double Tin Man. Um, hiding behind the wardrobe. Bok gets wheeled behind the wardrobe and then we do a quick switch and then myself as the Tin Man gets wheeled out from behind the wardrobe and then has to mouth box lines as Tom Worthington says them from behind the wardrobe. <laughs> yes, which you did incredibly well. Thank you. I remember though that whole that whole thing. It should be easy. Mm. But that wheelchair in itself was so hard so to maneuver, yeah. so awkward. And the wardrobe wasn't oh, that was big, good? so we didn't actually no. have that much space to switch out. And the Tin Man costume is so like bulky and awkward anyway. Yeah, because I remember I had to bring it on with you facing the audience enough, but not facing it enough so they can't tell that it's not Tom. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, oh, there's so many technicalities in that show. Like, not only is it a massive thing and, a, like, m- massive, like, acting-wise, mm-hmm. but just the all the technical aspects. Yeah. You just have to, like, clock into and remember. I love that showbiz crew or that crew at Isaac. Shout out to Isaac Theatre Royal if you can put some money 
towards um, their fundraiser to keep the theatre up and running and going, please do. Yeah. Because um, it's an amazing space. Future James will jump in and give a link. Take it mm-hmm. away. Here he goes. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, mate. So since our recording, uh, the Isaac Theatre Royal has blown past their fundraising goal with 120% of their funds raised. So I'm looking at the website now. They have raised $114,800 from their 95,000 goal with 1,289 donors. So New Zealanders came through for the Isaac Theatre Royal, which is so good to see. So happy for them. All right, back to the podcast. So now we get into the deep stuff. Oh. Oh. Oh, into the deep stuff. Jump in the deep end. Rolling in the deep. Haven't heard that song in a while. <laughs> Showing your age. <laughs> oh, you, you bitch. You sneaky bitch. <laughs> oh my gosh. Love it. Right. Okay. Maybe I'll just put in what I said because I think it was great. <laughs> yeah. Good. I was great. Yeah. So this is what I said. I don't know why I'm pausing. We don't need to pause because I'll just cut this out. We've talked a little bit about mental health. And one of the things that I admire about you is that you've been very open about your mental health journey and about mental health in general. Obviously, that's something that's really important to you to be open about that. Yeah, the the uh, the openness kind of came out of me and Briley Lockhart. We created a blog together, which was all about eating disorders and recovery body positivity and self-love and mindfulness we had a wee discussion i I had gone through eating disorders prior to her Mm -hmm. and um we had this this friendship really blossomed through that connection because um not many people talk about it unfortunately and it's it's very common within the creative industry with especially within actors musical theater dancers yeah we had this conversation we were like let's create something let's create a blog let's create a platform and a and a forum where people can read things and if they want to communicate to us on on how they felt and just kind of end the stigma mm. on it so one of the biggest things for me was to end stigma towards it but it was also holding me accountable as sure. well at the same time to not fall into bad habits again, to not fall into patterns. Because my eating disorder spanned over like 10 years. Mm. And it wasn't all really intense at times, like it was in the initial beginnings. When did it start? When I was 13. That's tough. Until I was 23. So yeah. as I said, I, I, I wasn't fully bulimic the whole way through. Yeah. But I developed... This unhealthy relationship with food, which then I associated with diets and heavily exercising, still was struggling with this body dysmorphia of not really seeing my body for what it was. Mm. And, you know, I still I still have little moments every now and again. And like due to lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> girl, girl ate a lot of bacon. <laughs> uh, bacon, actually. I did a bacon as well and baking and um girl put on some extra kgs and like there was moments where i'd look at myself and i'd be like i'd get into that and it's very it's very quiet now Mm. 
Yeah. Because I'm just like, oh, girl, shut up. Like, you look, you look fabulous. It's still there. So it's still a work in progress. Yeah. That's why it was so important to be held accountable. Sure. But then it kind of transformed into talking about everything because it made me realize that my opinions and my voice and my message and my journey mattered. So it allowed me to, to open up about depression and anxiety and breaking the stigma on that too, which helped me, I think, also open up as a creative as well. Because, you know, once when you when you have things inside of you for so long, that negative narrative and kind of sadness and struggle and trauma, it really just encompasses your whole body. Yeah. And the moment that you actually speak it or write it or go to counseling therapy, you you take a little bit off of yourself and it becomes something outer mm. and something that you can actually see and you can analyze and you can you can have control of yeah that's why it's so important to talk definitely so important so you went to therapy and stuff yeah because i think there's also a stigma around even going to therapy oh god yeah it's a wonderful place unfortunately i wish it was funded a bit more mm. hopefully we'll get there one day Mm. talking about it and getting advice from a professional because you can self-analyze as much as you want going to doctors yeah you can talk about it with your doctor but you really need somebody who focuses on and on mental health yeah and is specifically trained in it it's specifically trained and it knows how to deal with it like i'm on medication and um honestly i don't know what i would be without it mm. at the moment yeah and that's okay it's yeah. okay that i'm on medication and it's just like it's just like taking something if you had a heart problem you wouldn't exactly. not take that medication yeah and like your brain is the most powerful organ. Mm -hmm. So it's like you really need to take care of it. To go to a psychologist or a therapist, you also not only come up with the opportunity of going on medication, but also talk about mindfulness and strategies to manage your mental health in a holistic way as well. And giving you really, really great tools that you can implement into your daily life and just just to talk just to call it all because somebody who's not a friend or a family member somebody who's just completely outer who doesn't even really know everything that's happened in your life they can really look at what's happening in that moment for you is really valuable and nowadays there are online counseling as well there's one called better help yep which is a sponsor of a lot of podcasts and better help if you want to sponsor this podcast uh do so. Um, I have used BetterHelp before yeah. and BetterHelp is wonderful. Yeah. yeah. You know, obviously there's a, a stigma around it and I think those resources and those options really help with that. And the more we talk about it, that's really important because it's just the, the suicide rate in New Zealand, especially amongst young males, it's actually, it's heartbreaking. It shouldn't be happening. No. But it is. And we need to remedy that and we need to do everything we can to provide a safe space that isn't filled with shame. Because that's the big thing. It feels very shameful when you're going through something to deal with mental health. You're not strong. You don't have control over your own brain life. Yeah. And, you know, when you break your arm, you don't find that shameful. No. Some people wear it as a badge of pride. Yeah. 
And it's the same thing. Yeah, it's it's out of your control. Yeah. Obviously, you want to gather control and how to deal with it. But those initial emotions that happen with depression and anxiety, and I've been reading this book, it's called The Art of Acceptance. Currently in this chapter about compassion, we can be as compassionate as we want to other people, but when it comes to being compassionate towards ourselves, we do not lead with compassion. And, oh, is it, yeah, it spells out ACT, which is, as it says, your secret self-compassion key. So A stands for acknowledge. So acknowledge your struggle. So when you're feeling really down, be like, yo, oh man, this sucks for you. Like, I understand what you're going through. I'm sorry. I I feel what you're feeling. This is a really sucky moment for you. And then connect. Being like, yeah, look, Jane, like a lot of people go through this. Like, you're not the only one in the world. Don't feel alone. You're not alone in this. It's okay. You have people and people also love you and you're going to be all right. The T stands for talk kindly to yourself. Mm-hmm. So be like, look, you'll be okay. Everything is fine. And this will pass. It'll pass because you know that you're amazing and you'll know that you're strong. And once you go through those steps, honestly, it really calms your center. Yeah. Um, and really get you out of that fight or flight mode that you experience when you're in moments of depression and, and um, anxiety and even panic attacks and stuff like that. I've been using it a bit hmm. um, lately, and it's been very helpful. So if that helps anybody, and so The Art of Acceptance, oh, sorry, The Art and Power of Acceptance by Ashley Davis Bush. Plugs, 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 plugs. plugs. <laughs> yeah. You touched on voices mattering and also the importance of talking about everything. So that leads Mm -hmm. into the next thing that I wanted to talk about, which is Black Lives Matter. Yes. And what we talked about when we talked last was that that your dad is Mm Māori and kind of your conversations with him about what's going on at the moment. Yeah. When it first happened, like, I called dad and I was like, yeah, that, that video... I don't know, I'm just getting emotional now thinking about it. <laughs> Which is so so bizarre to me to see. Uh, in that moment of being like so shocked, I had to also realise that this is black America's reality every single day. Yeah. And how that so needs to radically change. The institution is built upon racism. Yeah. And racism flows through its through the roots, through its veins, and sprinkles its little spores everywhere. Yeah, so I called Dad and we had a cordial and it was actually, um, I called him this one time before I went to the protest in Auckland. The night before, I was, you know, watching some videos, as you do, on the Twitter and on the Instagram yeah. of police brutality. And I just thought, oh, what about if, it, if, if that was my dad? And my whanau and I just had a really good conversation with him about how he felt about the situation and he you know talked to me about how um he was always treated other not really in his early life because he grew up in Auckland and Northland when he moved down to Ashburton which is where I grew up yeah small South Canterbury town um mostly farming community mostly um national right-winged conservative and existing as a Māori in that place and coming from quite an educated Māori background as well. Mm -hmm. My dad was very intellectual and he was a 
fantastic, still is a fantastic poet and writer. There's not a lot of people of colour in Ashburton. And um, if there are, they normally get stereotyped. And he became like president of a um, business society, which was amazing. And although people were really stoked for him, a lot of people were also not happy about it and didn't think that he deserved it. Mm. And he basically had to almost whitewash himself to fit into society so he stopped speaking te reo maori i didn't learn te reo maori from my father i learned it from my uncles at a young age my dad didn't speak it in the house he didn't really associate himself with being maori apart from the fact that his skin was brown where we get to have a really full-on discussion about it and how that truly affected him and his identity as a person because like i can imagine with some people it would be you're like that with society and with going out but the fact that it changed him in his core that's just because yeah it's he had to stop thinking maori he had to stop speaking maori he had to stop looking maori as much as he could to fit into somewhere where he could be heard Mm. where he could be respected that really had an effect on me because obviously i I recognized that and I it made me think about my privilege from a very young age. And I understood from a very young age how people would look at my dad and look at me and go, hold on, is there something wrong here? Because he's brown and she's white. Are they meant to be together? Are they father and daughter? We're going to treat this guy different than we treat this little white girl. I knew very early on that my father was treated differently. There's a rational fear of people who are different totally and this is a very good example of the fact that it's not just america it's everywhere it's it's not just america and you can't forget that this country went through colonization and before we had the treaty of waitangi there was pillaging there was rape of course nobody wants to remember the awful history of every country's you know beginnings yeah especially when it comes to do with colonization But right now we really need to talk about it and we really need to talk about it within education and schooling. We sure we learnt about the Treaty of Waitangi, but there was this big focus on this dude named James Cook (laughs) being this really awesome dude and being the founder of New Zealand and created the first map whilst Māori had travelled around Oceania, Pacific, Asia for, for years. Yeah. And and then just and then came to Aotearoa and been living there as a as a civilized community mm. for a really long in society for a really long time and then you know I I just I want the truth to be told mm. accurately and that's what America is wanting right now and I highly recommend anybody. Who is listening, please listen to 1619. It is a podcast. It is on every podcast streaming thing where it follows the journey of African slaves coming to the shores of America to where we are now. Very eye-opening listening to that. So highly recommend. And make sure you also look at what is also happening in your your own country as well. Totally. And one thing that I did point out last time was that it's not your fault, which... I think it's really important to remember that and because of all the history that we've talked about, it's it's literally yeah. built into our society. So It's not your fault. You can't take responsibility for what your ancestors did. Yeah. 
but you can't stay complicit. That's the biggest thing. And honestly, even though I've always, always been actively trying not to be racist, I have had racist thoughts. Yeah. And I have acted with racist attitudes and that's not on. And I really needed to check myself and I need to look at that and go, why, why was I feeling that way? Why did I have that reaction to be, to be racist? And you really need to just go inside that little inner dialogue and like pick it apart and sit with yourself yeah. and be kind with yourself, but then act as well to acknowledge casual as we call it casual racism and really can racism can can it be casual i don't know but you know sly comments from your family members and passing jokes and full-out racism that you encounter call it out if that person said it and said it openly they should acknowledge that they can get some backlash on that they've spoken it out loud they think that they have the privilege to speak hate then you have the privilege to correct them. Yeah. Inspire others to be better and to act better and to inspire them to learn and to educate. That's one of the biggest things right now. Learn and educate. Yeah. Educate yourself. If you do want to learn more about Black Lives Matter and educate yourself, then there will be links in the description for you to do so. And I will also do so, and we will also do so, and we will get better, and society will get better, and brighter, and more diverse. Woo! Yes, and it's not going to happen overnight, but already since George Floyd sadly was murdered in broad daylight, there has been huge change, and not just in America, but globally. Yeah. And on, on even in the smallest of companies, really looking at how many people of color do they have? Mm-hmm. And why do they? Why are they not hiring people of color, especially people of color in leadership roles and really high up roles in companies? Yeah. Why does why does that not exist there? And that is powerful. So there's a there's a change happening. It's a revolution. It's happening. And as much as it is painful, it is also there is also a, a beauty about it because I'm hoping that when the next generations come through, they don't have to go through as much trauma and pain as what people of colour are now experiencing. Thank you for coming to our TED Talk. Namihi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now, moving into the last part, the question is, what is your Kiwi dream? Broadway! Um, no. Um, <laughs> well, you know, it's, that would be lovely. I'm a goal setter 100%. And... I'm very a dreamer. <laughs> well, I'm a dude. I'm a dreamer. I dream big. <laughs> and yes, Broadway, wonderful place. That would be cool. Always had dreams of going to the West End, and then I was like, "Oh, London's really expensive to live in. I don't want to do that." But that could still happen. And then there's like Aussie. I mean, mm-hmm. you're over there at the moment, um, which I've always really wanted to break into, but for some reason the timing just is not right. And this year was going to be a time, but I'm not too sure that's going to happen now. (laughs) The biggest thing is just to tell stories. And I know that is so cheesy when you say it. It's just like, oh, oh, there's an actor who wants to tell stories. But no, (laughs) but seriously, I just want to tell stories and I want to tell stories that need to be told, important stories that make difference and change. One of the things, apart from entertainment value that theatre has, it's also it also is political. You can't deny that. 
and it's a way to um, voice stories and voices that really need to be spoken and really need to be heard and need to have discussion created around. That's a big thing for me. I have some little pocket dreams, I guess, of of what I want to do here in Aotearoa. I want to learn how to direct. I want mm-hmm. to do more writing and I want to produce more because I produced my first piece last year and this year, Kingdom of Cats by Albert Bounds, and that was really cool. And I want to make theatre and the education, because I'm also a teacher, the education of theatre more accessible because I've been looking into, especially to do with what's happening right now with Black Lives Matter and the privileges that we have as white people. I want to reach out to communities and schools and areas that don't have the access to things like musical theatre education and, and acting education and provide that. That's some, that's something some way that I can somehow bridge the gap because I also want to see more people of colour and there are so many people of colour who are actors, but for some reason they're not they're not hired for things and things get whitewashed all the time. And I'm like, yeah. look at all these actors. Please use them. But also, you know, allowing them to give them tools so they can create their own work and um, tell their own stories. Because especially people of colour um, are storytellers. Mm-hmm. They are storytellers and have the most beautiful voices. And I would I would love to help facilitate that in some way. So, yeah, I just I just want to tell stories, man, and if I can get paid whilst doing that, that's dope. Totally. That's the that's the dream. That's the dream. That's the dream. But also like Broadway would be fantastic, like Ovi, <laughs> Ovi. All that also Broadway. <laughs> yeah, also Broadway. Hello. <laughs> Broadway if you're listening. <laughs> Broadway if you're listening. I'm here. Is that a song? Surely that's a song, Broadway if you're listening. Broadway if you're listening. Well, I'm now going to write it, aren't I? I can use the rest of my Tuesday to write, Broadway, are you listening? Copyright. (laughs) Copyright. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you, Jane, for coming back again. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being so patient with me and, and, and doing this again. I really appreciate it. We can blame it on technical difficulties, James. Or, or just me or the cat or <laughs> I don't know. We got it in the end. We got it in the end and we had a, and it was just so wonderful talking to you and I thank you for creating these conversations and being brave and getting into the nitty gritty. You're amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it's. I, I just think it's really important to voice these matters and to get into what makes performers tick. Yeah. And has, has it been awesome for you? Like, oh, you're like, been- wow, I like... It's been so cool. Like that's always been the inspiration for this podcast is I have so many friends in the industry that Mm. I do a show with once and then never see them again. I want to get to know people more and find out their experiences and how they compare and contrast to my own. You're a brilliant man. Brilliant man. (laughs) And with that, thank you for listening. Kakite. We'll talk to you next week, I guess. Bye. Bye. Hi, everyone. Thanks for enduring this very choppy episode. As I said in the episode, if you would like to learn more about Black Lives Matter, there are links in the description where you can do so. You can also follow Jane on Instagram at JaneVictoriaLennard. If you want to follow the podcast, you can find it at and other Kiwi Dreams on all of your favourite social media sites. If you check out my stories, you may also be able to ask my guests questions, so keep an eye out for that. 
You can also find the podcast on the website link in the description. Join me next week as I talk to an actress who's about to release a freaking book on Broadway and other Kiwi dreams.